Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 272 of Yogaland. Well, hi there, Jason. It's been so long since you've been behind the mic. I don't even know what we talked about last. I don't know. Probably Teaching yoga, practicing yoga. yoga. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about your brandy new first time online only 200 hour teacher training that's coming up. Is this an official infomercial session? Yeah, I mean, we're going to walk you through the program. And I think if you are a teacher who's creating your own content, you might want to know how we do this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it won't just be infomercially. But I think... Let me just, before you start, let me get the details, okay? Yeah. If you want to learn more on paper or register, you go to learn.jasonyoga.com. Let me try that again. You go to learn.jasonyoga.com dot com slash 200. And the program starts September 21st, and it ends January 28th. So September 21st, 2022 goes through January 28th, 2023. We've got 14 weeks, I think of calls, live calls, and you the people will have access to the content for one year from September 21st. So you'll have it until September 21st, 2023. And you have that one year to complete the course and get your certificate, take your exam and get your 200 hour RYT with Yoga Alliance. And I'm giving the nuts and bolts because he asked me not to give the nuts and bolts. He's dying to just jump in here and start talking. Okay, just sipping coffee. So the way that we are setting it up, is obviously there will be a lot of information that's pre-recorded. That's how online works. That's what makes it flexible. And that's also what allows us to be really concise and organized and get through all the information that we need to get through. And then, of course, there will be live sessions as well. So we have it set up so that there will be two live sessions per week. And all of those dates and details are on the website at that URL that I gave you, learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200. And we are setting it up so that there will be two different times. So it will work for all the different time zones all over the world. Okay. Because we hope to see people from all over the world. And the expectation is that you make it to one live call per week. There are, of course, exceptions. If you get sick, if you're having a baby, you know, whatever it is, you can watch it in the replay. But yeah, we're excited. And then the other thing to know is that the reason it's, that period of time that of those dates is longer than 14 weeks, but it's falling over a lot of holidays. So we are taking two weeks off in October while Jason's in London. And then I think a week or two off in November and then two weeks off for the Christmas New Year holiday. And again, all those dates can be found on the website. So that's like the Uber structure. But I wanted to talk to you about just kind of how you conceived of moving a 200-hour teacher training online and how you are going about it? The first thing that I had to figure out is, like, what doesn't work online? Like, like, because we know what does work online, okay? We have a pretty strong track record of figuring out the kinds of practices and the components of education that translate really works well to an online medium. Because In addition to the 700 hours of training I have taught online since the onset of COVID, we've been doing this for 10 years. We've been teaching online training courses, shorter format, 
but for over a decade, right? So the first thing to me, my first hang up was how are people going to develop a community, right? Not how are people going to learn anatomy? How are people going to learn sequencing? How are people going to learn injury management? We can, we'll, we'll talk about those things, but those things actually are pretty easy to solve. The first bigger question to me was how do people feel connected to this, right? Mm -hmm. Because your peer group is important in any training, but especially a foundational training, right? So I kind of went through and asked myself, what is my aversion to doing a 200 hour online? What do I think is not going to work? What if, if I was an engineer, Lord help the world. If I was an engineer, by the way, everything would be breaking down. But if I was good when you were hyper-focused, that's true. (laughs) But if I was an engineer, what are the likely problems that are come up going to come up or what are the, what are the likely insufficiencies or what are the likely hurdles? So I just focused on those things. And the first thing that came up for me is community and engagement with peer groups, right? That's the first thing that came up for me. Then the second big thing that came up for me was my connection to the students. Like, how am I going to get to know them in a way where I feel connected to them and they feel connected to me and I feel comfortable making an assessment as to whether or not that student was going to be a viable teacher. Mm -hmm. And then the third big challenge that came up to me, honestly, was how do I help students actually learn to teach? We're giggling because our um, our dog has just decided to eat. She and eats, it is so loud. She only eats when mama is nearby. So finally I have come downstairs for the day and she is, it is the loudest I've ever heard her eat yeah, ever. It's pretty classic. Yeah. Right. Okay. So again, th- those were those were really the three things that I wanted to sort through first. And I'm going to give the answers to those things, but I want to say it's taken two and a half years to figure out the answer to those things. Yes. I did not quickly adopt an online format for a 200-hour program. I quickly adopted an online format for a 300-hour program because in ways when you're already teaching and you already have a 200-hour program – and you're doing a 300-hour program to refine your skills and increase your knowledge base, you already know much more about the experience of teaching. You kind of know what you don't know. You know what the experience of being a teacher is like, and you probably already have at least a little bit of community, right? So in a 300-hour program- You've already gone through that transformative experience of a 200-hour. Correct. It's really a 200-hour. There's nothing like it. No, there's in terms not. Of it's your inner it's, transformation. No, it's it's just it's really integral. Like the foundations of whatever you do are really integral to the future of how you do that thing. And so I didn't want to quickly transition into it. I didn't feel like it was appropriate. I thought to myself, look, I could throw 200 hours of content up pretty quickly and pretty easily because I've taught this stuff for 25 years. But it wasn't until I figured out ways of managing what I saw as the primary obstacles that I have felt comfortable moving forward, right? So the first thing is community, okay? And one of the things, actually, there's there's really three layers to the community, especially for this 200-hour program. The way that we're doing the 200-hour program 
is a little bit more overtly structured than the 300-hour program. So in the 300-hour program, for each 100-hour module, we have this two-week intensive of live Zoom. And we have the and everything else is online. And those sessions where we're live, in a lot of ways, are pretty open-ended and they're very student-directed. So on any given day, I'll say, okay, what what anatomy questions are coming up for you? Okay, what technical questions about postures and the knee joint are coming up for you? What injuries are coming up for you? So I will give a little bit of a lead-in, but for the most part, those hours that we spend together online via Zoom are kind of like big group, or it's actually a small group. It's like group office hours. But for the 200-hour program, we need more structure. We need the group to feel more of a cohort experience. We need to have a sense that, oh, you're working through this chapter, I'm working through this chapter. So it's much more overtly scheduled. There's still flexibility because you have access for a year. But it's much more scheduled. So in any given week, people are to have watched X, Y, and Z video and be prepared to to talk about X, Y, and Z, right? right? So again, it's it's still highly flexible, but I'm I'm not leaving the timetable quite as much to the student's discretion. Right. Because there because you think about anyone that's in a more formative experience, you will benefit from greater guidance. Yeah. And then when you are in a less formative phase of development, I think you can be more st- student led, more independent study led. So anytime someone is has more knowledge and more I don't know if this is the right metaphor, but water under the bridge. I think there's greater independence. There mm-hmm. should be greater independence and, and self-direction. But when you're just learning a thing, you need more structure and more of an organized timetable and more community. So knowing not just, oh, there are these people doing this course, but everyone is focusing on the same thing this week. That's one layer to it. Another layer to it is we have in all of our sessions, all of our in-person sessions, a small amount of small group breakout rooms with structured questions, right? And with structured conversation. So is getting together on Zoom as intimate as getting together in the same room? It's probably not. But there are ways of managing and working with Zoom where we have 20 minutes and a group of four people and questions about, you know, what they learned and practiced this week. Anytime where the teacher is out of the room and people are in that room, there's an organic connection that happens, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about this, actually, when, when COVID was first happening, you remember how Yoga Alliance reached out to us mm-hmm. and asked us for our best practices. And we gave them some best practices. And one of the things that they said to us was one of the most challenging things to replace is what they called water cooler time. Mm. That, that remote work, 
right? This is different, but remote work or remote education lacks water cooler time. Yep. That I mean, time where you're just that time. lounging, chatting. Yeah. yeah. And where you're processing. You're processing and you're making those bonds by just being together. Yeah. Right? But not together in a structured format. You're just together. We've had incredible success with this in the 300-hour training. So getting small groups together consistently with each other and then bringing that to the to the larger group. So and things that are pretty conversational. So my goal in those those small group breakout sessions are not to you know that's not where you're going to have some long deep conversation about, you know, the meniscus and this mm-hmm. and that. It's a little bit it's a little bit softer touch. It's right. a little bit more about our experience of practicing yoga and our experience of transitioning to teaching yoga and our experience with this week's content and so forth. Right. Right. And then another layer that we have for all of this, which has been really incredibly helpful with the 300 hour training are small group mentors of having groups of people meet with an assigned mentor that has graduated from my course from my advanced course. Right. Right. And so those are those are some of the primary things that we've we do to help people get to know each other, right. to help people connect, to help so people you've have got, peers. You've so you three of the solutions you've come up with are organizing the content so that everyone is moving through it at the same time in terms of the discussions, the led discussions, making sure that you have them break into small groups regularly and actually get to have some time to get to know each other, not just talk strictly about sequencing and asana, but getting to know each other time. And then having an, a very experienced mentor as lead, lead small groups. And I will say, I know all of your mentors and I, I love them all. They're exceptional. Like they're all, they really are. They yeah. really are exceptional people. So they're, they, the thing about the mentors is, the people that I've chosen to have in the as mentors, they can provide things that I can't provide. Not that they have a knowledge base that I don't have, but they have different life experiences than I have. Yeah. And and one of the I'll say one of the biggest challenges with most 200 hour trainings is most 200 hour trainings are ensemble led, meaning One teacher teaches the sequencing, a different teacher teaches the anatomy, a different teacher teaches the philosophy, a different teacher teaches X, Y, and Z. That can be good in that you get a specialist to do each one of those things. But the biggest challenge to that is then you have, I'm just going to pick the number five. You have five different teachers with five different voices. And I can guarantee you those five different teachers have not come up with a common and shared plan, which means it's very difficult when you take an ensemble teaching. You, yes, you, you hear different voices. A plurality of voices is good. But the things that you're being taught are often not well-coordinated. And the nice thing about these mentors is everything is coordinated because they've all trained under me for – I mean, all of them at minimum of five years, most of them longer than that, but they're their own person. So they're all drawing on the same body of work and the same, 
I don't want to say the same mindset, right? But the same the same body of work. Mm-hmm. But they're all unique individuals in and of themselves. And I think even more importantly, these mentors, I trust them as people. Right. That's how you I know? feel too. Like I just trust them as people. Yeah. And so, yeah. So those those are the layers that help us make sure that there's community yeah. and there's connection. And then what about, you mentioned figuring out how to create a bond between you and the and the students so that you feel like you know who they are as they graduate from this program. So I think that largely comes from the way I engage with students. In a lot of ways, this, this kind of sounds strange. And anyone that has trained with me in person knows, I don't mean this inappropriate at all, but I'm really casual. I'm, I'm a, I am a very easy and approachable person. I am neurotic and uptight in my family. I think another way to say that is down to earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll walk into a room and I'm going to be the one that introduces myself to others. And I'm going to start, you know, like I will immediately start talking to you about You mean what, they don't have whatever. to come up and kiss your feet first? How are they going to do that virtually? Those like a, maybe Zoom, maybe Zoom will have a new icon like yeah. that. Instead of raise the hand, it has raise the hand, clap, and then uh, roses at your feet. Give the feet a little smooch. Yeah. Yep. But even more so online. So even more so online. So online, I spend actually quite a bit of time, water cooler time, just asking people, "Hey, what's going on? How are you doing?" What's going on in your life? Like, what'd you do today? Blah, Talk to blah. me about your cat. Talk to me about Tell your me cat. Tell me about the dog. Yeah. Animals have no privacy. <laughs> no. Spouses have privacy. Yeah. Children have privacy. But if I see an animal of yours online, I want to know about that animal. Yeah. And I'm going to pause to hear more about your question about triangle pose until I feel like I know Fido a little bit better. Yeah. So I think my personality and me just working with students to break down the barrier and to literally just tell them, hey, I'm here for you in this course. Like we have this time. I want, I don't want people to do this training. I want people to learn yoga really well and to see how it benefits them in their life. That's what I'm invested in. Mm -hmm. And so I really care about the experience that people have. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to make that explicitly clear to people throughout the entirety of the course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's get into, so now Ginger is actually dreaming a little bit and barking sl- quietly in her sleep. We'll see if that increases. Let's, that, was a, that was a quick move from chomping from, <laughs> food to whimpering in sleep. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into how the content is organized. No, this was one more thing, oh, okay. which is teaching. Yes, practice teaching. Practice teaching. This is so huge. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to relay a little anecdote to you. I remember the first day of my 200-hour, not 200-hour training, my 1000-hour 2-year training, right? With Rodney and Richard and Patricia and Mary. And on that first day, there's three or four things that stand out. But within the first hour of the first day, we were in Warrior Two, and a woman named Sandra asked a question. And Rodney, who was teaching the class, stood up and he said, Everyone stop. 
Sandra, come up here. Stand on this mat, please. So she walked over and she stood on the mat and he said, I'll answer your question about Warrior 2, but first I want you to teach this group Warrior 2. I would have killed him. Oh my God, for sure. And so you know what I learned? Don't ask a question. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Sandra was like the, uh, yeah, she was, yeah, the guinea pig, right? So I'm in no way that harsh, in no way that harsh. But how did Sandra do, by the way? She was fine. I actually don't really even remember. I think everyone was processing, like, not how Sandra did, but whether or not Sandra was going to have a breakdown. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, But, so teachers have to teach. And, like, I say this all the time. Having said that, we understand that some, I was one of these people, will do this program without having an intention to teach. However, you have to think like a teacher. So in order to, can we address that in a second? Yes. Okay. Because this is a really important point you're making. So my point on the Sandra thing is, number one, I will not put people on the spot like that. However, it is shocking. Okay. One more little anecdote. Right now, we are doing our 200-hour hybrid program in London. And we we, we already finished the first... 50-hour in-person immersion. So it's half online, half in-person. And we already finished the first 50-hour immersion and people are working through all the online content. And I'm doing follow-up Zoom calls. So I got to talk to them three days after they just finished their in-person thing. And I asked a question and I knew the answer, but I wanted to ask it anyways. I said, what were all of you most surprised about? And immediately hands went up. And every hand that went up said, I can't believe how difficult it was to give one basic instruction in yoga. I can't believe how difficult it was. And every single one of them was like, I have so much more respect for my teachers. So much more respect. Like, I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And here's what I explained to them. So I'm going to explain this general concept, and then I'm going to tell you how we go about this. Okay? So... If you think about yourself as a student in a class, you are working with one set of senses. Well, you're working with multiple senses, but you're mostly turning your verbal centers off. You're not talking during class. You're listening and you're feeling, right? You're sensing and you're feeling and you're listening during class, which means you have a lot of knowledge. You have a lot of, when you are a yoga student, You are building self-knowledge, you're building self-awareness, you're building postural awareness. And I would even say, you know a lot of anatomy. I I tell people this at all levels all the time is, you know an incredible amount of anatomy. You just don't know how to communicate it yet. Right. You don't have words for it yet. You have a feel for it. So as a student, you're training the sensing, feeling components. And in that way, you are very, it's all about interoception. Right? It's all about taking in mm-hmm. feedback, feeling it, and processing it. But when you teach yoga, you have to reverse that chain. It's so different. You, it's, it's the reverse. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's the reverse. <laughs> and the thing that's so weird about it is you don't know that it's reverse yet. Right? You think like, I've given this example a million times. I think, well, because I like reading and I'm good at reading, I must be good at writing. No. I'm not. 
because I don't practice it. So it doesn't matter how much you know about yoga. We'll talk about knowledge acquisition soon, right? About what you learn. But what we have to figure out is how do you get to the point where you start to reverse that flow and you start to communicate to others what they are to do and what you feel, right? So you you go from this taking it all in and being very internal and process-oriented to now you put that in reverse and you speak it out loud. Mm -hmm. And that is very difficult. But it's, it's very doable when you have a teacher that can teach you how to do it. And it has to be done like everything. It has to be done in stages and it has to be done progressively. So the first thing that we do and we do this on literally on day one. It's actually in the recorded content. And it, this, this is going to sound like you know, like you know me well enough to know that I am the last person that could ever do like some sort of role play, right? Like some sort of role play game. But there's something that we do that's in a bunch of the recorded content, which is I start to teach people how to verbalize what they are doing when they practice. I like that. Right? So for example, you and you keep it extremely simple. So you do a half sun salutation. You reach the arms up. You say, I'm inhaling. I'm reaching my arms up. I'm exhaling. I'm folding forward. I'm inhaling. I'm lengthening my spine. I'm exhaling. I'm stepping back into down dog. So the first thing that you do is you put to language your somatic experience. You just literally practice using words and having those words come out of your mouth. And the thing is, is this, this isn't about learning because a lot of times people think, oh, I need to learn what to say. You do not need to learn what to say. You need to know how to verbally process what you are doing. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. because the knowledge—the knowledge is actually in there, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first thing that we do, and we do a lot of that. I think so, that's really right? Smart. Imagine I'm in Warrior Two, right? So you just literally say you like look at your front leg, and you're like, "I'm pointing my knee towards my toes. I'm bending my knee more deeply. I'm lifting my right hip. I'm reaching my arms apart. I'm feeling the thigh bone descend. I'm feeling the thigh bone descend, right?" Yeah. And what you have to remember is when you are a teacher, there's two main things that you are going to be telling students to do. Number one, you're going to be giving action words. You're going to be telling people to do verbs. You're just literally going to be telling people to do actions. That's the one main thing that you do is you just tell actions. And then the second thing is you invite people into inquiry right? It's kind of like, feel your body, feel your breath, feel how this feels, feel how your mind's reacting, bend the front knee a little bit deeper. So those are like the really two big categories. And so we start with that of seeing what you are doing while you are doing it. But then also, let's say you're in pigeon pose and you can just like literally verbally describe, I'm feeling tightness in the right hip, I'm feeling a little bit of annoyance and irritation and fatigue, or I'm feeling good. This feels good. So you invite yourself into that same inquiry, right? And what this does is it just 
trains you to get the words out mm. and it gives you repetitions to get those words out. Mm -hmm. The other thing is this is actually a viable way to teach. And I, I talk about this all the time, especially online when you are practicing with the group. I, for those of you that practice with me on Glow, I guarantee, like if you, if you, if you listen, if you pay attention, you will see maybe 60% of the time I am telling you to do something. Inhale, reach the arms up. Exhale, fold forward, blah, blah. And about 40% of the time, I just verbally describe what I'm doing. Everyone, I'm taking that left forearm to the floor, my right hand's reaching back, holding the foot, and I can feel my quad as I press my foot into my hand. The thing that I like about this as a practice drill technique for new teachers is you start to communicate an authentic experience. But also the thing I like about this in the long term is it helps your students know you do this work too. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's intimate. It's connected. There's a connection to say, hey, you do this, I'm doing this. You do this, I'm doing this. Yeah, it's your authentic voice. It's yeah. you teaching from your own authentic voice. So we do a lot of that. And the nice thing about that is it's not in front of other people, right? Oh, so, right, right, right. So right. That's, that's the first thing. And so that thing of like Rodney asking a person to be in front of the big group doing it, that's like really being thrown in water, Okay. But the well, it's also not having a technique for how to do it. Like you're giving them a technique for how to formulate the words and in what order. Yeah, and I don't. I, I don't want to be negative towards that. But my yeah, I mean my yeah yeah. I wasn't trying to. No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> but I. But right. Our he point. Listen to the podcast. Yeah, he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> no. But our point on this is, and this was also twenty twenty two years ago. My guess, my hope is there's been some development since then. So the point on this is you do this while you're practicing alone. And that's where I say it's role play and it's kind of weird. Like it's kind of weird to like be in Warrior 2 and talk out loud to yourself. But it's way weirder and way harder to be in a group while mm -hmm. other people are watching you and you telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to literally For learn an to, hour and yeah, a half. You have half to learn to get hour. the words out. Yeah. And that good cueing, everybody, it doesn't come from a script. It comes from communicating an action or an invitation to experience, okay? So that's the first layer, and there's a lot of that. Then the second layer is small group teaching with no teacher or mentor present. Small group teaching with no teacher or mentor present teaching for fixed periods of time, specific things. So teaching a half sun salutation for three minutes. Teaching warrior two and triangle pose for two minutes. So really short periods where everyone is going around round robin teaching the same thing. The thing to me about not having a teacher present early on is it does take some of the pressure off. If I thought today about teaching in front of any one of my teachers, it's, it's nerve-wracking. It's already nerve-wracking to do it in front of your peers. But when everyone is doing the same thing and there's no teacher present, you're doing it in front of your peers on a live Zoom call and it's short. You, you, start, to, you start to 
get a feel for it and you know that you can survive it, mm-hmm. right? Then it's the same thing, small group teaching. And when I say small group, I mean like there's four people. Yeah. With a teacher occasionally present, mm-hmm. right? But again, not, not in any sort of like you're doing this right, you're doing that wrong. I, it's too early. It's like trying to teach a child or a, like a toddler to walk. You, you can't. You have to let them develop for a little while before you start to like build techniques. Mm-hmm. Then, I, I mean, there's like a very long process and I'll kind of move on from it for now. But then what it starts to be is you start to give only three instructions, Okay. So you start to lose, you start to learn an economy of language. So it's like, okay, we all go around the room and we teach one pose that pose is made clear to you. And all you do is give three instructions, hmm. bend the front knee, press the back foot into the floor, reach through your fingers. So you start to go through this process of, of learning, oh, I don't need to tell everyone everything I've known about every posture, right? And so this this builds from the ground up in ability. And then all you do from there is you expand your time, right? And we stay, we stay in small groups for this, but then we start to make the group a tiny bit bigger. And that we do to a T. The final thing is in these trainings, I provide very specific sequences to teach. Right. And this is where we can kind of get a little bit more into the content itself. Right? We're going to do that in another podcast. Okay. Yeah. 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 So finish this thought. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is the phase of learning. I don't want to say learning to feel comfortable in front of teaching in front of others. Because it, it's still a little uncomfortable. I still get nervous from time to time. Sure, sure. Right. But it's about skill development and acquisition. And I think it's also, I think it's a really smart way. It's funny, what you described is exactly how I taught myself to teach meditations. (laughs) Because I never did a specific, I've done like little online trainings here and there, but I haven't done a long form meditation training, teaching meditation training. And that's exactly kind of what I did for myself was I realized like, how can, how do I walk myself through a meditation? Well, the first thing I do is I get into my posture. What do, what do I say to myself? Then the second thing I do is I, I know that in order to feel any level of stillness or relaxation or concentration, depending on what I'm working on, what technique I'm working on, I have to like sense what's happening in my body and, and I have to consciously start to let go of tension. So what do I say when I do those things? And then what's the technique that I'm working with today? So I think that's, it's funny that I'm, I feel glad that I figured that out <laughs> because I think what you're describing I wish someone had, you know, I wish I had had that um, in my 200 hour because we didn't spend much time practice teaching. And when I got in front of people, I was stunned. I literally felt like, like you said, I thought it was going to be so natural and I thought it was going to just flow out of me because I had heard it so many times, right? So many hundreds of hours over the course of my yoga practice and training. But you do have to start to practice. How would I say it? Like, what do I? What am I thinking about when I'm doing this? What? What am I? How am I moving my own body in accordance to my breath? So I I like that a lot, and I'm glad you I'm glad you broke that down for us. I spend a lot of time thinking about how people learn and how people 
acquire and develop skills. And I spend as much time thinking about how to teach as I do the content that I'm teaching. And this is where a lot of, I, I guess I'll be just direct about it, where a lot of trainings don't benefit from experience. Mm -hmm. They don't benefit from experience. And the focus is a lot more on developing students' practice mm -hmm. and building postural capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to do those things too. Those are things that make it interesting. But you developing your postural ability doesn't help you communicate the teaching of yoga to anyone. It helps you know more about X, Y, and Z. But arguably, the knowledge gap is not the biggest, most immediate problem. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that a teacher needs to be able to do is understand the basics of teaching, the pedagogy, and have a structured way to go about it and things to teach. And I've said this so many times, everyone. There are many reasons that I left the Ashtanga world, but the first thing that I taught was Ashtanga. And having a specific set sequence and having a specific set cadence and having to not have to play chess for 90 minutes during class, figuring out what was next, so forth and so on, was so valuable to me. So this is where, in the long run, I absolutely want students to find themselves. I want teachers to be themselves. I don't want, like, I don't want minions. Mm -hmm. I don't want people that just teach what I teach. Mm -hmm. But that's the place to start. And having very specific, defined, developed skills that acquire over time and communication. I'll also say this, which is, these are the kinds. So that's of, why you create. That's why you provide these templated sequences. That's that's why I provide these the templated sequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, okay, one of the things that's valuable for us about yoga is what we learn in a yoga practice, or the way we feel in a yoga practice, or how we self-regulate in a yoga practice helps us off the mat. We know that. But I think another thing in trainings is that the skills we learn to become a teacher, even if you don't become a teacher, will help you be a better manager, will help you be a better employee, will help you be more clear in partnership, right? What we learn in a training like this isn't just content, it's communication, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's how to more skillfully digest things break complexity down into small parts, problem solve, and communicate. And these are, these are skills that transcend uh, the subject itself. Yeah, they are skills and they're also just, I think it's an inner growth opportunity. You learn so much about yourself and you build self-awareness and you, you change and you grow and it's a, it's a great thing. And part of the reason that it happens is because it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's because it's challenging. It's because it doesn't happen in 30 seconds or less. It doesn't happen in 30 days or less. Right. It doesn't. And when we are in this world that is all about 
shorter, quicker, faster, turn around, it's got to be 15 seconds or less. That's fine. That might get a lot of eyeballs, but is it going to improve our quality of life and our relationship with ourselves and others? And I think empirically, the answer is it is not. Yeah. You know, so I'm extremely supportive, but I also, at any level, even a 200-hour level, I want to challenge people. I want to challenge people to find their threshold and help give them the support to grow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's uh, put a pin in this for now, uh, because I do think it'll be worthwhile to have another conversation where we talk through how you've structured the content, but I feel like this is enough to digest for now. And, and Yeah. I think everyone can think not just about this training itself, but about some of these keys of identifying challenges, taking a step back and, and thinking to themselves, oh, there's probably a solution to this problem. There's probably a solution. So let's spend some time. And then secondarily, thinking about how we learn and our, our commitment to growth and learning. Our commitment to personal growth and learning is, is massive, whether it's in this course or whether it's, you know, whatever phase of your life, we have to be committed learners in this life. I'm with you. That's why we've lasted this long. That's true. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned earlier, you can learn more details, dates, and structure and all that good stuff uh, if you go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200. And I will, obviously, I can link to that on the show notes page as well, which you can find in its usual spot at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 272. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation. Okay, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.